Welcome to another episode of the Roots Podcast. I am your host, Sean Pitcher. Today's guest we have on is Palmer Johnson. He is currently the head strength and conditioning coach for men's basketball at Drexel University. He's also had stops previously at the University of Illinois, working with their men's basketball team there in a dual role as a sports dietitian and a strength coach. He was also the director of nutrition at University of Missouri with their football team, and then also was at Florida State working with their men's and women's basketball team. So you can see he has a lot of experience with football and basketball. Um, so it'll be awesome talking about that. And he's kind of a unicorn, right? He's been strictly a strength coach, strictly a dietitian. He's had situations where we've had kind of a dual role, which I think is super exciting to see. I think more of our practitioners are starting to have some of those dual roles or having to know what a lot of these other practitioners do so we can have those conversations and be able to integrate appropriately. But Palmer, really appreciate you for taking the time on a Sunday morning to come on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. So to start our podcast, like we always do, can you please tell us what is Palmer's Roots? Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Wilmington, Delaware, born and raised, uh, played sports all my life. That's kind of what got me onto my career path, like most people. Uh, originally went to school for engineering. So again, a little bit of a different story. Went to school for engineering. Calculus did me in. I had a roommate who was studying exercise science. And that's what led me to this path. Going back to the sports piece. Was lifting weights in high school, playing football. Wasn't getting bigger, stronger, faster. Started kind of experimenting with supplements, which then led me to read about research of supplements, which then led me to learn about the body. And as most of you know, kind of just going down this wormhole of the body performance and health. And so when I went to go back to school, went for exercise science and nutrition, got accepted into nutrition and kind of the rest is history for me, right? Um, was very lucky to have a mentor that was the consultant dietitian for the Philadelphia Eagles and 76ers at the time. And that was my first forte kind of into the sports world. And, and I loved it. And I knew it was for me and just kind of how I set myself up uh, for my career. Um, like I said, originally from the East Coast, but like many of us in this field, spent the last 10 years kind of traveling around the country, which I think has really lended itself to give me a broader view of the world, work with a lot of different athletes and learn things that I don't know. And so um, did my undergrad, Westchester University in Pennsylvania, did an internship with the Philadelphia Eagles my senior year. It's where I met Josh Hinks, who was the first kind of dual role CSCS RD. And working with him with the Eagles was obviously really cool because it's the NFL, you're an undergrad, you're like, man, this is the life. Um, and then he was the one that recommended Florida State to me for grad school, went down to Florida, lived down there for about two and a half years, graduated early from their master's program in ex-phys, got hired full time for uh, as a sports nutrition operations manager for men's and women's basketball. This was in 2015. So right kind of when that deregulation happened and the boom for feeding athletes kind of took off. And so being on the ground floor of that was super interesting. Again, got was very lucky to work with two really good teams at Florida State basketball. And that kind of helped me um, solidify that this was what I wanted to do in my career was going through the dietitian process, the internship, things like that as well. But again, just trying to make my way in nutrition, spent a lot of time with the strength coach there at Florida State, Dave, and just asking him questions, learning from him and He's kind of the one that helped me prepare for the CSCS and then kind of, again, 
um, put the nail in the coffin that the dual role was kind of for me. Um, so again, went to New Hampshire for my clinical internship. The, I knew I was going to work in sports. So I went to New Hampshire. It was a clinical dietetic emphasis. I spent 16 weeks in the hospital. At the time, it was great. Looking back on it, probably would not choose such a long clinical rotation, <laughs> but I'm grateful that I did. And it was a great experience. Uh, after I passed the exam, got hired out at the University of Utah as a sports nutrition fellow, uh, primarily working with women's soccer and baseball. Again, you kind of know as, as a nutrition and dietitian, right? We don't really get set times with our athletes. And so one of the things with my interest in strength, always spent a lot of time in the weight room, especially for, for baseball lifts. And I got more questions from the guys about nutrition on the floor than I ever did when I had office hours, right? Our office was kind of secluded from where athletic training and the weight room was. And so getting that face-to-face -face time with guys, being able to kind of help them there, we took the nutrition and performance to another level. And again, this is kind of where that dual role first started for me. There, the baseball strength coach at Utah came up to me and was like, hey, you have your CSCS, uh, I'm understaffed, got a lot of guys, I could use your help, you know, get on the floor and, and coach. And I remember in my head, I was, I was scared, right? Like, well, okay, now it's real. Like now I'm being called into, into action. And so it was a little rocky that first time, but once you kind of get the flow down and everything, it was great. And it was just, uh, it's one of those moments where like, you don't really feel like you're working, but you're working and you're having an impact just kind of came naturally, a lot of energy, things like that. And so that was my first experience kind of as that dual role. Um, then I got hired on at Missouri working football. And this was strictly just from that nutrition kind of piece again, to was staying involved with the strength staff, working very closely. We had a fueling station on the weight room floor. And so again, just kind of all around things. Um, but again, kind of just more on the nutrition side there. Had a coaching change at Missouri. I didn't feel it was a good fit for me. I was looking for a new job. Had a friend at the University of Illinois that was like, hey, we're going to be hiring a football dietitian. You should apply. Did. Also, this was uh, peak COVID. So very interesting mm -hmm. time on that side of things. Interviewed for the football role at Illinois. But the search committee had the basketball strength coaches on because they were hiring for two positions, basketball and football. And got the call from the director of Illinois. And she's like, hey, it's been kind of an interesting week. Like, would you be interested in interviewing for the basketball position? Again, I have quite a bit of background in basketball on the nutrition side of things. So I was like, yeah, for sure. And got hooked up with their strength coach, Adam Fletcher. And really, he's the one responsible for where I'm at now. During our interview, he was like, look, like, clearly, you know, a lot about nutrition, uh, I'm really interested in your physiology background. They like, talked to me about that. And so through our conversation, obviously got hired on as a team sports dietitian at Illinois. But from day one, working with Fletch, he was like, you're on the floor, you're coaching me and you are taking this thing to a whole new level. And so during my three years at Illinois, it kind of evolved from that team sports dietitian into an assistant performance coach. Um, spent a lot of time on the floor, coaching, working with guys, obviously handling the nutrition piece, 
when you're working with a team of 15 guys, you can do a lot more than when you're working with a team of 130 guys yeah. or an apartment of 500 plus, you know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> it's a and different so, ball game. Um, it was just, it was, as I, I hate to say it was the greatest three years of my life, but we had a really fun time. We did a lot of really cool things. And that's kind of where he kind of was like, hey man, like your potential in strength and conditioning, much higher than nutrition, like, I think you should go full-time into strength. And that's what led me to where I'm at now. Uh, just accepted the role as a head strength coach for Drexel basketball in September, week before official practice starts. So we hit the ground running, um, kind of first third of our season just ended kind of this week, going to finals. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but again, too, as that dual role, um, and it's really fun and exciting to see how it's kind of grown. So so a lot of parallels there. I want to touch on a couple of points. So it's, it's funny lot. that you about high school literally like verbatim was the same thing like I was a kid playing football in high school I was undersized I didn't really have any background from anybody to tell me what to do from a fueling standpoint so yeah like I was on bodybuilding.com like I was taking all sorts of different supplements and just experimenting and seeing what works what doesn't work because um, you know at the end of the day it's a lot of trial and error and I was very fortunate to have a great mentor you know our high school we had the opportunity to have cooking classes we had a oh, nice nutrition teacher um so that was very integral in, in understanding and knowing what even that was and that was an opportunity and like that, that was actually a career so that was super helpful there um I, I like what you said about you know being directly on the floor floor with the athletes I think every and we talked about this before we jumped on if you can be in as many places as the athletes are going to be then it's kind of like the conversation we're having today it's just organic it's natural it's easy you're just integrating into their schedule and what their routine is. You're not taking them away from anything or having to spend, you know, an extra hour, hour and a half. That's more than what they want to do. And as we know at basketball, like just a lot of times, like they want to get in, they want to get their stuff done. They want to, they want to get out. Um, and it may be challenging to strap them down, you know, let's say for nutrition to do a full assessment or a full conversation with them, you know, I always say, and I've said this multiple times in the podcast, you might have to microdose it, right? Like you might have to get, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here. Maybe it's you answer one of their questions and that causes them the next day to come back for another question. And then they said, Oh, I did this yesterday and I felt this. And you're like, great, we'll try this next time. So it's just, you got to be able to be flexible. And, and, and if you can, in that case, right, when you're only with 15, 16 athletes, you can do that. Um, but if, if you have the opportunities to not do as much food service and be around their practices and their games and, and in the weight room during their training time, um, and, and I was able to do that when I was at IMG Academy and that was kind of their emphasis. That was the emphasis where I was at my last facility. And that's the same thing here. So, um, I think the more we can try to keep pushing towards that, to be in those situations, the more we're going to be able to help athletes first handing them a smoothie, handing them a box of food. Um, then they're just knowing you as the food person versus, Hey, I can do a million other things for the program or for the university or for the athletics department. I'm not just the food person. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things I kind of tell people when they ask too, right? Like nutrition's, if you ask me, it's one of the hardest disciplines in the high performance team because one, it's newer, right? Like when you compare sports med and strength and conditioning, they've been around for a while. People know that payoff, but nutrition, it's really hard to get your time, right? And you need an hour, half an hour to really sit down, dive deep, get the athlete to vibe, but then they're not always having it. Right. And so one of the things I always phrase to people is like, Hey, strength coaches get an hour 
of the athlete's time. Sports med gets an hour here or there. You know, you're in sport practice, but like, when does nutrition ever get a time? There's no dedicated time for nutrition. And you can make the argument, well, what about meal times, right? But again, you get a lot of guys or women coming in. You're all over the place. And the couple athletes that you need to see at the meal, because they're your higher needs, they're oh, the they're... ones sneaking in, grabbing a drink and leaving, checking off. And <laughs> you turn your head and you're like, wait, where'd they go? And they're like, oh, yeah, they left five minutes ago. And you're like, oh, well. So it's it's interesting carving out those key times throughout the day. Or just meal times in general, too. You know, it's it, a lot of times, like, some of the coaches or staff are like, yeah, go go talk about the meal times. No, they don't want to talk to you at the meal times. <laughs> like that that's the only time where they don't have staff or coaches talking to them or they can be with their teammates or they can hang out with other people like they yeah. don't want you coming around and hey you should put a vegetable on your plate every like, time too right they don't let them be yeah they don't care they don't want to like if you want to go sit down just to chat but not bring the nutrition to the table and like if they allow you to do that like cool but and, and i've had that multiple times like you should be in there telling them like exactly what they need to put in their plate like they don't know me yet. We don't have a relationship yet. They don't trust me yet. Like if I, if I come in every time to that meal time and that's all I'm saying to them, like it's going to become white noise like anybody else. And like, they're not going to care. Yeah. I so had, I've had times where like I'll sit in there and if they want to come ask me something cool, but I'm not going to go and just berate them and tell them to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I had a coach one time tell me that I should be walking down the line with an offensive lineman on game day, helping them lose weight. And this was a starting lineman. And it's like, uh, coach, I don't really think like pregame meals is the time to be starving him. And he's like, but he needs to lose weight. And I'm like, yeah, but he also needs to be able to play. So the balance yeah. side of things, right? Like it's like giving him the scenario, like in the cost benefit ratio, like, do you want him to play really well? So the quarterback doesn't get sacked or so you're running back and run for a hundred to 150 yards today, or do you want him to be the gas in the first quarter? And then he's making mistakes mentally and physically because he can't keep up because he's not fueled. Yeah. And this is like, let them make the decision. What do you, what do you think coach? What do you think <laughs> I should do? <laughs> this was a guy that also had a history of total body cramps too. Like there was a couple of times after weights, he would just lock up and it would just be me and him. And I'm like, would you eat today? And he's like, I didn't. And I'm like, see what happens. Now I got to pick you up off the floor. Thanks. So it's always it interesting. And it's sad some of those times, like they almost have to go through those experiences. Like you want to prevent them as much as possible. You want to reduce them. You, you don't want that to happen in front of other staff and other people. Um, Cause you know, sometimes as I'm sure you've experienced like probably with that individual, like, well, why is he cramping her? Why is he this? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I need to go talk to him or her. And I need to have like a quick conversation and ask a couple questions. And then, yeah, then we can try to figure out some solutions, but we also can't go to their apartment and go to their house and like hold their hand. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And it's hard to undo 18, 19, 20 years, depending on the situation of poor habits and bad decisions and just the environment that they had to grow up in. That doesn't change in a couple of weeks and a couple of days. And like, I get it. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to have the best season. Everyone wants the athlete to succeed, but Stuff takes time, and, and unfortunately, sometimes people just don't understand that that mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That goes back to the business side of things, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, and we, we can see it on, on multiple different levels with, with athletics, you know. It's just when it's – I mean, it seems to even getting worse. Like, I mean, 
teams are just cutting people like mid-season. They haven't been there a whole year. Or they cut them after a year. And how, how do you expect a culture to get built? How do you expect the mindset to get built? You know, how do you expect someone to be able to have the time to be able to integrate some of the things you want to do? It just becomes constant turnover. And we see the teams that constantly turn over all the time. They're never the ones that are able to sustain success like year after year after year after year, right? You look at a Bill Belichick or you look at Duke or you look at some of these teams, they're probably bringing out really good. Like they may be going through staff because their staff is underneath someone really good that's allowing them to then go somewhere else, like in, in, in your case, for example. Um, but they're always bringing in other people to fill those situations. But the culture and the mindset are staying consistent. Right. Right. What they're doing that's working is staying consistent. And what's not working, they're going and talking to other people other practitioners to get better, which is then allowing them to continue to keep developing their program. But if you got five years in a row, five different mindsets, five different peoples, five different schemes, what like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> no, absolutely. It's hard. And I, I had a coach tell me that too. He's like, you're the fourth dietitian in three years. Like why, why should these guys listen to you? Right? Like you may be gone tomorrow and it's like, ah, yeah, I could be, but that's not my intentions. Right. But again, just crazy world. Um, but having that developmental mindset and being able to work with athletes for the long term is really where the fun's at. And it's crazy with the transfer portal now, because like you said, you see it on the coaching side, but at the high level, you see it on the student athlete side as well. And you may only get someone for three, four months, depending on the sport. They're there for the competitive season and then they're gone training for the draft or, or transfer to another school. And, and it's, it's really hard because, you know, relationships is what we, we do at the heart. And so it's just an interesting time. It's like, well, I, I said to somebody the other day, I go, now we have free agency in college. And it's like, now it's just going to become, it's going to become who has the most money, who has the most donors that can put money into these entities that can give whatever out to the athletes, you know, it's like that, that just becomes really, that comes sad to a point because, you're also not teaching these athletes to be able to fight through adversity, fight through challenges. Your team didn't win this year. That doesn't mean just get up and leave. That means like maybe you should be a leader and try to figure out how to help your team get better for next year versus we're just going to, we're just going to max exodus. And then everyone's like, yeah, I'm going to leave too, because I didn't like how this coach did this or said this or did you, get, you had a year. How do you, how do you know if you can't change or, or make something different? Like, so yeah, it's, you know, I'm a little bit indifferent about it. You know, I don't, I think, I think, you know, you, you got to give it a year or two or a couple of years and like at least try <laughs> versus giving up and like, oh, well, I'm a hot commodity and I'm just going to go to the next team and they're going to give me a bunch of money and I could be average and I could still start or I could still be so-so and, oh, well, if it doesn't work this year, I can go to another team because I'm still a former four or five star athlete and it's just going to work out. So yeah, I don't know. That's a whole like rabbit hole you could go down. Absolutely, yeah. So, what led you to specialize in basketball? I know you said you played football when you were younger. Um, is there anything specific about basketball that you just really love? Is it because the group is so small, so you can do so much more? Is it you just love the sport in general? Yeah, so I played basketball growing up. I played my freshman year of high school, um, but I, I played football, basketball, baseball in high school, and then just kind of realized like that winter sport, like that's a lot. What are we doing? Um, so I took it off and just kind of focused on football as my main sport, but um, familiar with basketball, grew up in the Philly area. So been a Sixers fan my whole life, you know, always kind of fell in love with that. 
but again, it kind of is like right time, right place, right? Like I said, my mentor in undergrad was a consultant dietitian for the Sixers. She was talking about her experiences with the Eagles and the Sixers one day in class. And again, like knowing that I wanted to go into sports, I went up to her after class and I'm like, so like, what do you do as a sports dietitian? Like, what's that like? And she's like, I'm so glad you asked. Like, no one has ever asked me. I have all this knowledge that I want to share, <laughs> but no one has ever asked me about sports. She's like, what are you doing tomorrow? She's like, come with me. We're going to go to the facility. And I'm like, okay, like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so she got me the in, right? She exposed me to that world. And, and again, in a critical time in undergrad, when you're trying to figure everything out, and this was uh, 2010. So before nutrition, like was what it was today, right? Like it was kind of unheard of secret, like only the old heads really know what was going on. Um, back when you could only do fruit, nut and bagel type of thing. And so obviously working with professional athletes, a little bit different. She partnered with a private chef who would come in and cook the guys breakfast after practice. And so that was my first experience. We were in the Sixers locker room with a griddle, literally like high school football, Saturday morning, scrambling eggs and making pancakes for the guys after practice. And so that's kind of how it started. Obviously I was around more, put time in, like working with her, asking questions. And then that kind of evolved into some heavier nutrition related stuff. I did a vitamin D protocol with their athletic trainer. Um, then it was just kind of making meal plans for guys. And so again, just had that experience really early on in, in my career. And then again, to went to Florida state and it worked out. They had the person who was doing nutrition for men's and women's basketball. She was there the fall semester. She got a winter dietetic internship. So she left I just graduated. And so it was a right time, right thing, kind of, again, got hired on to work with men's and women's basketball. Again, had the background in it, had the experience. So it wasn't one of these things where my boss was going to have to micromanage me, supervise me. She trusted me enough to be like, hey, I know you can handle yourself in that building, like take care of it. And, and it worked out. So um, was that was that Jeannie? Is that who you're referring to? Westchester. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. My girl. Yeah. Shout out. So it was, it was funny. We had, uh, when I was at overtime, we had a lot of former staff from the 76ers. Okay. Uh, strength coach, I think is another individual. His last name was Wright. He was like, Jesse, Jesse Wright. Yep. yep. He was, he was, that's how I got Jeannie's contact information to okay. jump on the call with her. Jeannie's nice. also part of shipping as well. So she's kind of on our, our, our board there. Yep. Yeah. And then there was another individual. When I, there at least I probably say like four or five people. So there's a lot of 76 Exodus individuals that had like come on to our team to kind of like develop that from from scratch. So as yeah. soon as you said that, you said Westchester. I was like, my brain's just racking. Like, what's her name? And I'm like, oh. As soon as you yep. said a couple of details, I was like that's her. <laughs> yeah, that's my girl. So no, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, and I had a, I had very similar. I had a professor named Doctor Donation. You know, but you know, back in probably like 2010, like. When I was going to school, I mean, sports nutrition was still fairly new. Right. She was the only one out of all my professors that had any clue about sports nutrition. Yeah. You know, I even had professors, like, when I was doing some certain things, when I was an athlete in college, like, why do you have a gallon of water with you? Like, why are you doing it <laughs> two to three hours? Like, nutrition professors didn't even understand, like, why and what I was doing. But she got it, and she was able to get me 
kind of same thing in contact with several individuals like, hey, here's someone local in Buffalo. Hey, talk to her. I talked to her. Hey, these are opportunities you can get, um, you know, for internships and GA positions. You know, I came from a background where my, my brother went to college, my cousin went to college, but I didn't really have a lot of guidance. So right. the rank coach that I had that I was interning with at the time, kind of in a similar sense, like, he's like, hey, here's all these sites you can get your master's paid for. Um, you know, if you're willing to travel because you're young and you don't really have a lot of responsibilities or anything holding you down, just apply for as much as possible. So like I'm applying for shit all the way out, like, but not South Dakota <laughs> or like down in Mississippi or just like all over the place. And yeah, when you're aging you're at that time, you're like, I'm just I'll take whatever opportunity I can, because, you know, as we are here in our careers, you know, eight, 10, 12 years down the line, you know, our our we're amongst many different people's branches yeah. and everybody knows each other. And you never know, like you said a couple of times, where those branches are going to lead to and provide some other opportunities going forward in your future, which is why I always say, don't, don't burn any bridges on anybody. Yeah. That can end up biting you down. For sure. It's a small world too. Like you said, everyone knows everyone. And uh, I'll share with you too, because like the nutrition professor thing and, and kind of looking at us probably a little different trying to gain weight, lift weights, uh, I had just taken microbiology and learned about food safety and all that. And I was eating every two to three hours. And I was like, I'm not bringing all this food with me because bacteria. And now I'm going to get sick. I, I'll, you know what I mean? <laughs> Microbioorganisms, like, nah, my food is not being kept stored safely. I'm not doing it. So uh, I kind of started, I learned about intermittent fasting in the early 2010s and started doing that. And Jeannie was the one that was like, what are you doing? And kind of just shared that with her. And she was like, interesting. Now, again, I wasn't like trying to do it for performance or anything, but just, it was new. It was different. Like I followed the logic of it. It was, it was interesting. But then on the flip side, kind of like a little nutrient periodization type of thing, uh, in the winters, I would bring a gallon of milk with me to school. I was only there for a couple of hours, but like, you know, that old bodybuilding secret, drink a gallon of milk a day, eat everything. With some PBJ sandwiches and you'll be. <laughs> exactly. So then it went from, okay, now you're not eating all day. to now you're drinking a gallon of milk in my class. Like what's going on? And just kind of those fun, like conversations of, uh, she let me bounce a lot of my thought process and ideas off of her. And that's kind of what made me where I am now. So it's, it's funny how those things work out. But like you said, a lot of professors are like, Oh, no, you don't need to be doing this, that protein through the roof, like it's bad for you. And you're like, wait a minute, what do you know? So I don't think we know the same thing. <laughs> they're just in that. Again, there a lot of them are just in that clinical mindset. They just they think in those parameters and those recommendations, those ranges, and they just so understand the elevated needs when you're working with individuals that are you know, what I say, part-time job, just active, you know, right. 50 to 25 hours a week at times. Yeah. Plus or minus of, of just activities. Like that takes a lot to be able to continue to fuel and recover that individual. Like you're not going to do that off of some person that's in a bed in an ICU eating like 2000 <laughs> calories a day. Like there's, yeah. a big, there's a big difference here. You got to be able to look outside of that box. Right. Yep. Um, I like what you said about, you know, working with the athletic trainer, vitamin D protocol. Uh, so I guess some questions there, I guess, from your prior experiences, um, what kind of biomarker testing have you done in the past? You know, maybe what are some key markers that you found up to this point that, you know, if, if a dietitian is asking, should I do testing? Should I not do testing? What are the best tests to do? 
maybe how do I integrate biomarker testing into, you know, our schedule and routine? Cause we know we don't have a ton of time, you know, maybe some, some feedback on, in your opinion on that. Yeah. So obviously the, I, I hate to say boring answer, but the classic one is typically iron and vitamin D, right? Especially working in the collegiate sector. Um, those are ones that we feel have the biggest impact from not just a health standpoint, but also performance, right? Um, for all of our athletes. And that's usually something we'll write into like their yearly physical. So when they come back, we'll, we'll get a vitamin D check and an iron ferritin level on them. And then depending on their results, we'll follow up in about six months. Obviously, if they're low, they get flagged, come to the dietitian, have that supplement protocol, get them on that, and then reevaluate in about six months, see where they're at and can kind of continue to go. Basketball specifically, they're indoor athletes. And so for the most part, we expect them to be low in vitamin D because they spend so much time indoors. But surprisingly enough, uh, the last couple of years, we've had guys that have actually been pretty good. And again, too, like when talking with younger practitioners, again, sharing like insights and, and the funny things of what we do. Um, I had a woman's basketball athlete in the past who has literally the highest record of vitamin D I've ever seen. Um, and it was because she went tanning every day. In a tanning oh. And so, again, a lot of people would be like, hey, you don't need to go tanning every day, but uh, it's good for vitamin D. It's not bad if you're a basketball player, right? And so it's kind of one of those interesting things, like a lot of people don't think about it that way. But again, it goes back to what we learned in school, right? Sunlight main source, why not? Um, so those are the two that uh, we kind of go from that health and performance side of things um, pretty routinely. Um, and it's nice also to having that time point every year. We know in August, we're going to be able to get them and have that through. And again, if you're higher needs, we'll get a little more frequent testing throughout the year. Did you bring like a, that I seem like the, always the tricky part. So like, did you bring an actual physical phlebotomist in? Did you do drive lot tests? Yeah, so it's, it's basically testing. like part of your physical, like when you go to the doctors, they'll take an extra tube out. They're doing the CBC as well, kind of just routine blood work on things. And so our sports med department kind of handles that logistically. <clears throat> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And again, too, they're already setting up the logistics of physicals and so what's another thing to add just on like hey that. just add a couple little pieces of the puzzle here we're not having to like change the wheel <laughs> yeah and they're they're happy to do it too because as you know especially like with our female athletes a lot of them have low iron and that ties into a lot of symptoms that they experience during practice so we're making their life easier too as well kind of correcting these deficiencies before they blow into full-blown problems yeah, when, we, when you can have a direct integration with athletic training, sports medicine, physical therapy, like that's huge. Like, you know, before I left the last facility, I was at like, I had basically their room, which was their eval room. Like we had a whole cabinet that was set up for whatever they had issues with. It's like, oh, it's joint and tendon. Like, all right, here's collagen. Like if you're sick, all right, here's zinc, vitamin C, or like some of those Gatorade shoes. Oh, nice. you're having issues with like soreness all right, here's some like recovery cherry chews or so like we had a protocol in place. So that way, if I'm like running around, like I can't meet, meet with them at that very moment. Right. It's like open the cabinet. What is the specific issue? Is it GI? Is it joint tendon? Is it, is it recovery? Is it sleep? Like wh what's the problem that we're having? And it's like, if it's, there's something that I can at least integrate alongside what athletic training is going to do, like, instead of just giving them NSAIDs for pain, like, can we give them curcumin and omega-3s and pro-resolve and, and, and collagen 
instead of just like thinking that Tylenol and acetaminophen is going to be the answer for every time they're in pain. Maybe yeah. it's you need to do some more movement to right. like get the area warmed up and you're just a little bit stiff. Maybe it's you're not getting enough of those, you know, fruits, vegetables, healthy fats into your diet. Maybe we provide these specific supplements that have been proven to help reduce muscle damage or reduce soreness and inflammation. And just giving them more of the mindset, like, you know, this is kind of a, I don't want to say a holistic approach, but it's like, you have to look at all the pieces of the puzzle to know, like, there's multiple factors that's causing you to feel this way. And you're just getting to the understand, like, <laughs> and our third trades was saying all the time, are you injured? Are you hurt? Or are you just sore? Because <laughs> sometimes like, you know, they could be on a, they're, they're one or two could be feeling like a 10 to them. And they think like, I can't do anything. It's the it's end like, of the world. Yeah. It's the end of the world. I can't practice today. I can't play today. It's like, no, let's, let's just do a couple things. Like, let's just look at a couple things, ask you a couple questions and see if we can, in, you know, include this in the next 30 to 60 minutes and tell me how you feel. And it's like, Oh, it's a whole, it's a whole different story. Yeah. No, I like that cabinet setup. That's really smart. I might have to borrow that. Yeah, so we did, um, I had basically little cards mm -hmm. like with the protocols on them. So like if I wasn't there, the athletic trainer can go in. I would have like little baggies set up. So that way, if, if they had to do like give them, I don't know, Tylenol, like then they right. could just yep. add yep. to the bag. Yep. And, you know, what I basically had, like you could take a picture of it if you were like, again, the athletic trainer or the athlete, or I had a QR code that would go to information beyond that right. too. Yeah. So then it's just like this full approach, like, hey, if you don't really care, athletic trainer is going to do this. Like, athletic trainer is going to suggest you to take this and this. Let's do it for a week. Tell me how you feel taking it. Oh, you want to know more about what this is? Come talk to the dietitian or QR code scan it. Now it's on your phone. And then you can't say, like, oh, I have my phone. Right. I know the athletic told me and saw you scan it. So it's like, it's, it's constantly thinking of all the different ways like you can educate and teach the athlete on, on several different levels, whether it's you being there, you not being there or like providing some kind of like passive education. Um, just because we know athletes are just learning in, in so many different ways that we have to figure out how can we support the environment in those ways that's going to allow them to learn and allow them to be able to hopefully pick some of this information up first having to like force it on when they don't want it. Yeah, for sure. So um, being that you've been a director of nutrition and a director of strength, right? And I say this to a lot of individuals kind of coming up through the field. You know, I, I think instead of just getting just a bachelor's in nutrition, a master's in nutrition, like you should get your master's in something totally different if you can, yeah. right? Psychology, strength, kinesiology, um, sociology, business, something that's going to pair with what you already do. Um, so if we look at those, those two professions, right. How have you been able to like make those shifts to like be a hundred percent nutrition, a hundred percent director, and then do both at the same time. When in reality, a lot of times for one person, it's hard to just to do one of those jobs because there's so many tasks that you have to do in a day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just quickly to mention how you talked about psychology to like getting multiple degrees. And that's one thing I always like echo to new people is like, if I could go back again. So I, my bachelor's is in nutrition. I minored in exercise science. 
I would have, uh, again, if we're sticking with nutrition, I would have minored in psychology. I mean, knowing what we know now about behavior change and counseling and all those things, like if you do that, man, your life is going to be so much easier. <laughs> um, but again, so bachelor's was in nutrition, minored in exercise science. Master's was in exercise physiology, majored in sports nutrition. And so as we all know, right, nutrition and exercise science are intertwined and then this can be a much different conversation going down a different rabbit hole, but they're so intertwined that you have to kind of learn about them together, right? Like carbs, obviously fuel energy for higher anaerobic intensity, but what does that mean? Right. Different story. But the education system is we compartmentalize everything, right? We learn about fats. We learn about carbs. We learn about proteins. Then we may learn about performance, right? But all of these things are going on in the body at one time. And we learn about them isolated, but it's, it's all going on, right? Like take fuel, for instance, right? We're often taught carbs or fat, right? But like, it's that dimmer switch. We're burning both, right? Like we're burning fat right now. And if I go run up the stairs, I'm burning carbs, but that doesn't drastically change what I'm eating outside of the performance context. So it's the same with exercise, right? Like if you can understand how the body responds to the different training stimuluses, then you understand why the nutrition recommendations are what they are. And that can kind of intertwine the thought process, right? And so instead of just thinking about nutrition or strength, it's nutrition and strength, right? Like one of the analogies I always give for athletes is um, it's like a bicycle, right? Like one wheel is training, the other wheel is nutrition. You need them both moving in the same direction if you want to go somewhere, right? Like you can be all in on strength and the nutrition piece isn't going anywhere. You'll get a little bit of gains, but long-term, not going to really pay off for you. And so just kind of keeping that thought process um, has been a, what's allowed me to multitask. Also, personally, I really thrive in chaotic situations, fast-paced environments. I'm a multitasker. Um, so like, I like it, you know what I mean? I'm also a little bit of a caffeine addict. So like, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, being yeah. around a lot of strength coaches in my day, if, if, if they didn't have a cup of coffee or a monster in the hand, like it might not be normal for them. No surprise there. Right. But so like, I'm used to running around brain going hundred miles an hour, right. You're talking with athletes. They're all on different things. And that's what I really like about the nutrition piece is, you know, going back to our example of sitting down with athletes at a meal you may sit at a table and one athlete's a weight gain, one's a weight loss, one has celiacs, one's a new type two diabetic, right? And like, that's a really interesting conversation to have, but as a dietitian, you need to be able to do that and not like, oh, let me check my notes, you know, let me go back to what we talked about. Like, you need to be able to do these things on the fly. Uh, if you really want to have your athletes buy in and trust you, and I know that's something we'll talk about but again, too, like if you're just staring at them like, oh, I forgot um, or that's a great question. Let me go research that and come back to you. Right. Which isn't a bad thing. But if you say that enough, your athletes are going to be like, I'm not even going to talk to them. And so um, just kind of having yeah. an understanding of how it works. Um, and they don't again, want someone who's fake. They exactly. Want that's honest. And, and like I find it honest and real and like just sitting them down, just telling them how it is. And like they may not like to hear it or they don't want to hear it, but like that they tend to appreciate, appreciate that a lot more. And that's part okay. about being a coach is right. Like you have to help them go to somewhere they don't want to go. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard just because, I mean, it's just, just the part of the game of recruiting and, and getting athletes to go places. But 
They're just like, if, if you're going to tell them something and you don't follow up on that, or you don't hold that promise. Like I find a lot of athletes just have a lot of trust issues because again, coaching and recruiting, and they're just telling them like, Hey, well, you're going to be a starter as a freshman. Hey, you're going to be a key integral part of this. Hey, I'm going to send you 50 letters to, to say, we want to have you. And then you get there and it's like, it was all fake and, and it was all a lie. I yeah. can't tell you after that I sat down and I remember one with the one facility I was at, you know, a few years back, you know, his locker every day was just loaded with, with, you know, letters from colleges. Yeah. And he's like, and he goes, well, and it's kids like 16, 17 years old. He goes, you want to know how I know who's real and not real? He goes, I read all the letters and I look at which ones are the commonalities and they're saying the same stuff time after time after time. And what are the ones that are like an actual handwritten letter Yep, that are different and say something specific that's about me or say something specific that we're going to like, we're going to do. Right. And I like, kind of took that to the heart. I was like, like, yeah, because it's the same thing. If Like we, we go to these places. Right. And like they bring us on a flight and we go and interview and Why we have not? this and this. And like, yeah, all external, like externally, that looks good. But like what's going on really internally? Like I want to I want to talk to the staff. Like I want to know, like, what's going on here? And is this going to be the right fit for me? And like is all the stuff you're saying, is this real or is this just like a mirage? And when I get there, like, it's not going to be what in reality it's, it's going to be. So I feel like the more you can just be upfront, be honest, tell the athletes how it is and follow up on what you promise you're going to do for them. You're going to be able to lock in and, and, and gain a lot more trust from the athletes and you'll be able to get a lot more out of them. First, if you BS them, you tell them you're going to do something, you don't do something. And then they're just like, ah, oh, this, this person's not like this person's fake. Like I yeah. want nothing to really do. Or you show up like one hour a day, once a week, once a month, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's challenging. So it makes it fun though. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said there, like, I know we, we teach a lot of stuff singularly. It's like, if you're going to teach about carbs, like give real examples, do activities, right. do it on the court yeah. and then explain to them, Hey, you're sprinting up and down the court. Like you're going to need fuel for car- like, you're going to need carbohydrates or your coach is yelling at you, giving you instructions, and you're having to make a decision in real time to pass the ball, to shoot the ball, to set the set a screen. Like that's mental. What nutrients do you use? Carbohydrates for that. So it's like now you're in their space and they're able to relate it right. to what's actually going on. So they're like, oh, I do need it for this. And then and then now it's gonna be a lot easier. Oh, did you have carbs at breakfast today? Yeah. Did you have a pregame or a pre-practice snack that had carbohydrates in it? Yeah. How did you feel on the court? Or I feel better. And then now the coaches are saying like, oh man, so Jimmy's looking way better than he was the last couple of weeks. He looks more energized. He's more vocal. Yeah. Because he's actually fueled and he understands like how it applies. <laughs> yeah. No, it's awesome. It's a great thing to see too. when when they connect those dots and, and start buying in. Um, and then the last one before we go on the, the, the kind of the next thing we're going to talk about is just the mental and psych, I think is enormous. Um, it's great that more and more, um, organizations are adding that piece to the puzzle um, for a variety of different reasons, reasons, but it also helps us strength, nutrition, just how to ask questions, how to listen, how to look at body language, how to, how to have quick and easy responses that are going to make sense um, to the athlete, like all those different stuff matter. Or, you know, you have a program set up one day and a kid comes in and his girlfriend just broke up with him all right, well, I'm not going to go very hard on him today, or I'm not going to yell at him today. Like being able to pick up on a lot of those little nuances allows you to be 
a lot better coach and practitioner um, versus just having this one track mindset and thinking everyone's going to be the same when we know everyone's so different and everyone outside of the athletics facility is going through a thousand different things. Yeah. With social media, especially nowadays with NIL, um, you know, I just saw something, the, the basketball player, Clark, the women's basketball player, like she talked about mental conditioning and have a mental coach and talking about how the stressors now probably compared to when we were growing up and we didn't have all these things. It's just, it's a lot. And people just think these people are superhumans and just they're people like us and they need all the same things that we do and need to be understood like that too. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I can't imagine like the stress or stress our athletes are under because of social media alone. And again, being part of high, high visible programs, right. You get to see it and it's, it's insane. Like if a guy misses a shot, the amount of negative messages hate mail things that are coming into his instagram account it's it's insane right like and people forget that they're 18 to 22 year old kids right like their minds are still developing they're trying to figure out life they're on their own for the first time plus they have this uh academic and athletic responsibility and we kind of just take that for granted and and very fortunate from my nutrition background right because that nutrition piece teaches you about that right we learn about food is more than fuel the culture, the traditions, the family, the good times. And so you start to look at the athlete outside of just what they're eating and what their goals are and all of the decisions that go into what they put on their plate, why they put it on their plate, when they put it on their plate, right? Like you said, if an athlete's having a bad day, it's going to show up in everything they're doing that day. And again, you don't have to hit that gas pedal on them, but it's like, hey man, what's going on? You okay? Just having a genuine conversation with them. And then that opens up the door and you're having a different conversation and you've helped them that day versus like just going through the motions, going through a workout and they just kind of drain everything out. Right. Yep. Treat them like a human and a person, not like a, not like an object or like, right. Here's, here's your food plate. <laughs> Are you fueling today? <laughs> yeah. They, they already, they're already getting like slammed with a thousand. Like you said, they're just getting slammed with so much and they're so stressed all the time. Uh, and and they're so young and they're just getting so much pressure. It's just like, we don't need to be people adding extra or more stress and pressure onto the plate than they already have coming from so many different angles. So that, you know, just add, and a lot of times it just becomes on to ask them like, well, what do you think you can do today? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Getting them to make the decisions. Like we know you didn't feel very well. We know that you need to add more of this. What do you feel like you can do the next practice? What do you feel like you can do tomorrow? Yeah. Let them make the decision, have them tell you what where they're at, what what importance level, like what ranking it's at. Okay, now I know how I'm going to interject and give you some suggestions of what to do that's going to be easy, that may not cause a lot of extra trouble or stress to to what's already going on. Yeah, is a lot easier approach than you should be eating this tomorrow. You didn't you didn't do it. It's like that that approach is just long long gone. Like that military do this do that. You have to do it like. If you're not working side by side nowadays, you're you're gonna lose them really quick. And I, I think just from hearing from from different people that I know in the field and like even coaches, like some of those older coaches are having a tough time relating to these athletes because the mindset and the culture and the communication has shifted. A thousand percent. They don't know how to talk to these athletes anymore the way that they want to be talked to or have conversations to. 
um, which will be very interesting for some of those individuals in those positions. Like, are those people just going to get pushed out? We're going to have to get more younger coaches and individuals. Right. Understand that are from that generation because some of the older generations just aren't getting it. It's a big gap. It's different. Mm -hmm. So one one of the big things is, you know, creating buy-in, you know, with basketball, basketball culture can be very challenging, um, you know, to get them to want to do some of the stuff, especially from our ends, whether it's a strength, strength uh, situation, whether it's um, nutrition, um, you know, getting them to utilize supplementation. I know compliance there can be very tough because they may not want to take a pill, a powder or whatever it is. So maybe what are some, some tips and techniques that you use to, to create that buy-in on a multifactorial approach there? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing when it comes to buying is you have to believe it first, right? Like there's so many different ways to go about what it is we do from a nutrition and strength side of things. Right. But like, what is, what are you as the practitioner passionate about? And because when you're having those conversations with the athletes, like you said earlier, like if you're fake, they're going to tell and they're going to be like, why should we do this? You're not excited about it. Right. And it's, it's like, think about like that typical, like carb team talk, right? Like we need carbs for fueling and performance and this and that. And it's like, we've heard this so many times, like what, like, so you got to think of some way new to frame it for your athletes. Right. And so a lot of times for me, I always revert it back to that performance side of things, right? Like hydration, we know is great for improving strength, power, endurance, minimizing injury risk. But like, again, that falls on deaf, deaf ears. Like, what does that mean? And so one of the infographics I made was like bench press, you know, what weight you can do hydrated versus what weight you can do dehydrated. And I don't remember the exact figure, but it's like 5% difference. So I just made up a number, um, did it for back squat, did it for 40 time, did it for vertical jump, post it right above the urinal in the locker room. And so now guys are like, Oh, so if I'm hydrated, I can jump high. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, like, <laughs> what should I be drinking? And then again, that opens the door. Right. And then like you said, start with the low hanging fruit get them to do it consistently. They notice the difference and then they're like, all right, well, what can I do next? Like, what can I do next? And keep kind of progressing them that way. Um, from a supplement side of things, I'm a big nitrate guy. Really like the nitrates, obviously great for endurance, but I don't know if many people know, also really great for strength and power, which those three, that's the game of basketball, which is why I kind of like basketball because you get a blend of all of the physiology, right? But again, have you ever tried to get an 18 year old kid to do a beet juice shot an hour before a basketball game? Well, you know, from your experience, <laughs> you get these kids to eat a meal before basketball, let yeah. alone get a beet juice shot. Right. And so again, one of the things I really like the research side of what we do, read it knowledgeable, introduce beet juice on a Saturday practice before competitive season. And it's like, no, guys, we're we're all going to do this. Like, we're all going to grab a shot. We're going to get in a circle here. I'm going to tell you about beet juice, why you should do it, benefits, whatever. And then we're all going to do the shot. Like, we're all we're all doing it. There's no like, oh, I'm going to the bathroom and you pour it down the toilet. Like, I'm, we're all going to sit here and do it together. And when you get that team to do it, right, they, they know it's going to be bad, but it's one of those things that it's a shared moment between them, a shared experience and you do it. And they're like, Oh, you know, that actually really isn't that bad. And then they go out to practice and they have a really good practice. And they're like, you know, you, 
you may be on to something with that beet juice. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so then again, kind of, I alluded to it earlier, you know, nutrition never really gets dedicated time with the athletes, especially on a game day. Right. But from the strength side, we have them at the 45 minute mark for pregame. That's when we're doing our warm up. Well, guys, guess what? We're coming to the sideline. We're going to do a beat juice shot. And then I also do like a little pre-workout chaser. It's a carb protein electrolyte mix, not pre-workout, like a caffeine based one that many people think of when you hear it. So about 45, 30 minutes before the game, we're doing a beet juice shot. We're chasing it with 30 grams of carbs, 10 grams of protein. And so that kind of minimizes that like, oh, this is gross type of thing. But then also we're fueling and hydrating. But I get them at that time. Like they know that that's coach P time. This is what we're doing. This is part of our pregame routine. And and then they go out and they have good games. Uh, and now again, the asterisk to that is beat juice does not make you win basketball games. No, it doesn't. There's just a lot of factors to that. <laughs> I've learned that. Right. And in the beginning, I was very lucky that we had a really good streak. We were undefeated. I'm like, oh, it must be the beat juice. Then we lose. And we're like, oh, no, it's not beet juice. Humble, whatever. But kind of that like funny like joke, you know what I mean? And so um, just kind of getting them to do it and then being the role model for them too as well. And it kind of goes back to the dual side of things, right? Like I live the lifestyle that I preach for our athletes to do, but then I also work out like I'm still an athlete and I don't do that for any other reason than just my own health and the competitive side of me as well. And there's something to be said that when you're trying to get 18 to 22 year olds to change their bodies and become better athletes, sometimes they need that role model, right? And so when you hop in the weights, weight room and, and you're lifting with them and they see the amount of weight that you're moving and they're like, dude, you're 35 year old, retired. Like, why are you doing this? Like, how are you moving this weight? And you're like, I just look at them and I go, good nutrition, man. That's all it is. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and I sleep eight hours or more. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And so they're like, Hey, he, he may be onto something again. And so it's just creating that like positive environment, making it a good experience. Uh, there is some like not hand holding in the beginning, but it's like, no guys, like we're doing this. You don't have a choice. Like, this is what we're doing. This is our program. This is our culture. This is how we fuel. This is why we do it. And once they kind of get through it, and again, when the whole team's doing it, it's like, I, why not? Right. Like we're here to get better. We're here to be successful. And I found that that's been the key for me for, for buying, getting that buy-in and, and having fun and being successful with it. So. Yeah. The one, the one facility I was at, I used to get in the morning and I would, I would time it up. So as it'd be like the last 15 minutes um, and like the first football session was going to start they would walk in and see me training. And then yeah. once, once I was done or I was getting closer to when it was going to be their time, I would just stay in the clothes I was in because that was a conversation starter. Oh, what did you do this morning? Yeah. Coach? Like what did, did you train this morning? Did you do squats? Right. Like it just caused them to like, want to have a conversation. Cause they're like, Oh, you sweated a lot. You look like, you look <laughs> like you just went to war in there. So like, yeah. And, and a lot of times the, the music will be blaring. So they're coming in and like the energy is really high. Like I'm yep. doing something that's, that's really intense as well. So, you know, especially if they're coming in and they're having a bad day, well, guess what? I'm going to start your day with a smile of how you're yep. doing and the Some energy really high. Yeah, no. And they're appreciative of that. And I think a lot, a lot of practitioners, right? Like I know we all have stuff going on behind the scenes too, but 
you need to have that mentality as soon as they walk into the room, like you got to set your stuff aside and like, you're there for them. Right. So you need to be positive. You need to be high energy. You need to have a smile. You need to like, ask, how's your day going? Did you eat breakfast this morning? Like whatever, whatever those conversation starters you have with their, with your athletes. So that way they can start their day in a good foot because those questions and that time, maybe even if it's like 30 seconds that you spend with them, maybe what's going to determine the rest of their day. Even yeah. if they woke up and their day was starting absolutely terrible, you could have turned their day around. Yeah. Which is huge for a lot of them. Same thing along that lines too. I worked with wrestling briefly at Illinois and was sitting in the dining hall with two guys over the summer and never really had a conversation with the one guy. Our conversation with the first guy kind of wrapped up and I'm like, so how are you doing? And he's like, what, with my weight? And I'm like, no, like, I don't. I don't care about your weight. Like it's summertime. Like, are, are you okay with your weight? Like that's no, like, who are you as a person? Like, tell me how you're doing. Like, how's your summer? What are you up to? And like, you just kind of see that light bulb going off in his head. And it might've been the first time that a dietitian asked him how he was doing. And it wasn't related to where he was with his weight for weigh-ins, weight cut, whatever. And it's like, no, bro, you're a person. Like we can just talk. Like I know we're in the dining hall, but like, you're nowhere near your competitive season. Like your weight's not my priority right now. Like, and so you just have that organic conversation and then see them in the hallway. They're like, Hey, what's up? And, and it just blooms from there. And so like, like you said, those small little snippets throughout the day help create that buy-in over time too. Cause they're like, Oh, he gets it. He cares. Like, it's not just the food police mentality. Like, Oh, here comes the dietitian hide my plate. Right. Like you just talk about things outside of, their sport like the world life what's going on and it's just it's it's the person first right or i i saw you once this entire week and then yeah. i'm gonna have to come make suggestions or recommendations but you saw me my face one time yeah for like five minutes the entire week right you know most individuals are gonna be like that person's not here for us yeah like they're just here to like tell me something yeah it's like you said like you're there multiple times a day or at least if you can't because you got multiple sports which we all understand like at least make time a couple times a week so that they know like oh these are the days this individual is going to come and they're going to be here yeah so they can at least count on that versus you're a ghost and just show up randomly yeah <laughs> like a pre-game meal right and like i haven't seen you in six months who are you and what are you yeah, doing? like what are you doing here yeah oh you show up on game day how convenient mm-hmm I, I like your hydration, like matching that with, you know, the, the different lifts. I think that's really creative. Um, I used to do, I used to put two pictures up of like a filet mignon and beef jerky. Yeah, that's the classic and, one, right? And I'd be like, what muscle do you want? Or, <laughs> or, or do, would you, would do you want any, or I put like injured versus being able to perform at a high level and just very minimal words, a visual and like make them make a decision on, and then most people, you could ask any athlete, do you want to be injured? No. Right. Okay. Then, then it comes up with a follow-up question. Well, what are you going to do to change that? So yeah. that's not you telling them, it's asking them to then make their own decision in their head, which yeah. I think when you can make it their decision and their thought and their answer, they're going to do it versus speaking it at them and doing it. Yeah. Um, do you ever use, sorry, go ahead. So the same thing, like with the bee juice, right? I put up a PowerPoint. It's like six bullets about the performance benefits. Give them the spiel. Let's go to the next slide. And it's just a picture of LeBron drinking, drinking bee juice. And I just ended with like, well, LeBron does it. Like, you don't want to do it. And that was like all they needed. They were like, oh, yeah, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. 
Oh, I used to put I always put pictures of him like eating snacks like over on yeah. the side, like his bag of trail mix and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. I'm like again, think about this. He's what 18, 20 years in this. He's still averaging 20 points a game. He's still playing X minutes a game. Like you don't really hear LeBron getting any like significant and major injuries. Might might be under something. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit easier too from the basketball like world because that's what they're all striving to be like in a sense. Yeah, and if you can have those figures and show them like in real time doing that stuff, it's always going to make a lot more sense and be a lot more relatable than you telling them to do this stuff because you know it's helpful. Like they don't care, but oh, LeBron and Giannis and and Jokic are doing this. Yeah. Sure, sign me up. Probably do it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> do you, have you ever used Inflow? Will you put in the urinals? I have not. Um, so personally, I got away from hydration testing when I went to Illinois. Mm-hmm. One, it was COVID. Um, mm-hmm. and at Missouri, we did a lot of hydration testing. They had an athlete that uh, in the early 2000s passed away from sickle cell complications. The athletic trainer had been there the whole time. And so mm-hmm. hydration testing was like a big priority for uh, Mizzou. So I've done like millions and millions of tests, you know what I mean? I like it. I don't mind it. I think it's interesting, right? You kind of play that like guessing game with yourself. Like, Oh, what's this athlete going to score based off the look you get really good at it. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but, um, saw the inflows, thought about it, um, at Illinois. And it was just kind of one of those things like, you know, rather than like testing and giving them specifics, I'm just going to get ahead of it and just make hydration a priority. One, that's what our pre-workout drink does, right? It takes care of those recommendations that hour before. But then what I did was I just bought cases of gallons of water, right? You buy a gallon of water, like a case of gallon of water, it's $5. And I just put like 20 boxes outside of the locker room and guys would just come and grab a gallon every day. And so again, they may or may not drink all of it, but kind of backing off some of that like strict overwatch and big brother in a sense if we're doing hydration testing and this and that which again they kind of equate with a negative right like some athletes they don't believe that you're hydration testing they they think you're secretly drug testing them different conversation but again to like sometimes less is more and i think a lot of times with nutrition right we kind of emphasize like the negatives right like the injury risk and reds and under fueling and you're basically going to die and like, it's that that bad thought. Whereas yeah. then on the flip side, if we can frame it in a positive light and the positive benefits of why we do these things, you, you get more buy-in that way too as well. And so I like the idea of the inflow. I wish I had that at Missouri. It would have been a game changer. But um, personally, I've just moved away from it because um, from a timing and resource standpoint, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, so the I, I would definitely agree there where like doing the actual USG, putting the P on there, getting the numbers, having those obviously cups, making it think like they're going to, there's that whole association with it. Like, and just compliance is like terrible unless you have everybody on board. Um, I will say what the inflow, which was helpful. Like it doesn't give you a number. It just gives you a color. I agree. I think where that was helpful was again, it's another passive kind of communication to, to them where I didn't have to go in there and like physically do something every day. It's like, Here's the urinal, you pee in the urinal. I'm not tracking it and telling coaches what your color is. Right. But it's giving you feedback what your color is. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of helped because I would I put some in the coaches 
uh, lockers. And then I put them also in our, our guys lockers. So then the first thing that would come out would be, Oh man, I'm like red or yellow today. What, yeah. What should I do? So it, it created more of a conversation around like, how can I, like you said earlier, like, how can I improve my hydration? Like, what should I drink? Like, Hey, my, my color has been red multiple times in the row. And I, and again, it's not a hundred percent perfect, but if it starts that conversation and it gets them to think and want to hydrate more, and then they can associate hydrating better with better performance and they feel that, then hopefully that causes them to make a few more decisions in the right direction. Yeah. And then, you know, the coaches would come and walk right into the office and be like, I didn't pee very good today. What should I do? Red. <laughs> and then you could talk. And that's where I could talk to the coaches and be like, hey, you should do this, this, and this. Now, if the coach is feeling better, you know, a lot of times, as we know, it, it's all about, it's a top-down effect. Like, if right. I can get the coach to have a different thought process about what I do yep. and show some importance in it, right, that's where a lot of times I would go into the end of a practice and the coach would, you know, introduce, hey, what do you have to say about nutrition today? Or like, hey, make sure you guys are sleep, eating, and hydrating. And like, yeah, maybe he's not saying anything expansive about it, but like if he's saying like sleepy and hydrate, or he can mention something from data that we pulled up that we, something like that, then now you're not only just from me, from the coaches, it's from different staff. So when that, cause sometimes, you know, a lot of those players will try to go to certain staff they like and try to like get out of stuff and right, I don't right. want to do, do that. But if everyone's on the same cohesive page, then it makes those conversations a lot easier. And it's like, well, everyone's telling me to do this. Everyone's on the same page when we're doing this. There's no way I'm really going to get out of it. Yeah. No, and when when your head coach is echoing the message too, sends that buy-in through the roof, you know, you'll laugh. Brought in beet juice for football. The end of the, my first season, I was getting like four cases and it would last me like a month, two months. I only had like six guys taken. I just put it in the fridge, kind of left it up to them. Next season, we opened at Wyoming, and obviously, you know, the altitude and everything, big top topic. Start of training camp, our head coach mentioned beet juice and that I had it, and all of a sudden, we went through a pallet in like a week. So, the whole team was doing it. The position coach GAs were coming down like, hey, I need a case. I'm just going to stock it in our meeting room. And then next thing you know, like the whole team is doing multiple shots of beet juice a day, and I'm like, I've had this stuff here for eight months. Nobody really is interested in it. Whatever. Uh, a head coach says one sentence at the end of a team meeting, and now we're flying through pallets every month. And it's just kind of funny how it works. And, and it's, <laughs> it's like, I'll never forget the head coach's reactions because I, I gave him one. And this was on a recruiting day. So he took it early in the morning. And then he's flying around all day with recruits, parents, all that. He comes back in the afternoon. And he's like, bro. He's like, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Like, we need more. Than that. Like, Let's go. And I'm like, all right, coach. Like, fine. Like, whatever. And it's just funny how like that one little moment can kind of cause a chain reaction and everything. So, so stay tuned. By one of my future podcasts, I'm bringing an individual on to talk about cocoa. Okay. Because there's there's some new research out that that helps to having a nitric oxide. Yep. through a, a different pathway so yeah we know beets are so tough to to, <laughs> to ingest sometimes and everyone wants to do them i was like well this could be another option where most people enjoy or like chocolate or you can mix it into something it's going to be pretty tasty so um i'm going to have an interesting conversation with him on an episode that kind of give us a, a debrief and 
talk about that a little bit more in depth. So it could be another option besides, you know, beads or it's black current, or maybe it's cocoa. It's like, well, now you got three different options that can provide us that benefit that we can get out of it. Yeah. Super interesting. I've actually recently started using red spinach extract as my nitrate source. Oh, interesting. It tastes a little bit better. There's a really good product out there that I'm pretty big on. So yeah. I'll have to ask you about that offline. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then the last, uh, so, you know, pregame, you know, I think having that pregame ritual and routine just becomes commonplace. So that definitely helps, you know, when I first, the last facility is that when I first got there, like anxious, nervous, it's part of their ritual where they don't eat. Um, so it's kind of finding, you know, I, I just did a survey with all, right? Like what's your favorite carbs, yep. um, fruits and vegetables, protein, snacks, meal that reminds you of home. Like I just surveyed them all. And that way I was able to integrate that in with our chef. So she can do stuff that we knew they were going to actually eat. Yep. Like if 70% of the group said they like green beans and broccoli, well, let's have green beans and broccoli twice a week on the menu because we know they're going to eat. It. Yep. Love and then it. we'll, we'll throw in one random option here and there just so we can get them some exposure or we can do some kind of sample of something to get them some exposure and if they get a lot of good feedback, then okay, we'll throw that on the menu. And then now that menu and that flavor fatigue isn't happening. We're constantly morphing that as we go along. Um, but, you know, I got to the point where it was our guys, they would eat fruit snacks, Rice Krispies, drip drop, and then oranges or bananas. Yeah. And, you know, some people are like, oh, why are they eating Rice Krispies? I'm like, well, they were eating nothing before. It's a quick carb. Yeah, all the ingredients, I would agree, aren't 100% terrific. But they were able to go out the second half of their game and play really well, and we didn't have issues. So you, you got to have kind of that that balance and, and and find out what they're willing to do, what they're not willing to do. And, like, not every food we're going to give them is going to be 100% perfect or organic or have five ingredients. Like, if it's what works in that moment and what makes them feel good, and that is one of many factors that helps us hopefully win that game, I don't, at that point, it's like we're putting you in the best possible position we can to be successful. That's what anyone could want. Funny Rice Krispie story. So uh, <laughs> women's basketball coach calls me up one night and and great coach, really good person. But like whenever I saw her name on my phone, I was always like, here we go. What's this going to be about? Answer it. And she's like, so tell me why Rice Krispie treats. Like, why are we giving our athletes Rice Krispie treats? Like, to me, that's like giving them chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, well, coach, I, I actually would like to give them chocolate chip cookies too. Like, uh, you know, like, are you telling me you prefer chocolate chip cookies over Rice Krispies? Like, I, I can make that switch. But so she, <laughs> what are we doing just giving them sugar? And I explain it to her, right? You know, quick fuel, easy on the stomach. We also had an athlete that was gluten-free. And so I was like, this is our gluten-free carb option for player X. And, you know, just kind of gave her that education. And she was like, oh, okay. Like, that makes sense. You know, like, I get it, whatever. Um, and then, like, kind of branching off of that, too, going back to, like, the behavior change side of things. We know our athletes are hardwired for sugar. It's how they grew up. They love Gatorade. That's what they taste. That's what they prefer. It's not a bad thing, right? But um, kind of got into the behavior change research and creating the environment for your athletes to put them in a successful place from a health and performance standpoint. And so a lot of the snacks that I would offer in the fueling station, I would opt for the whole grain version. 
not a thousand percent healthier, but a little bit less added sugar, more vitamins, minerals, you know where I'm getting at. And mm -hmm. so I would do the whole grain, um, rice crispy treats. And we'd have athletes come in, they grab the rice crispy treat, they eat it, they'd look at it, they look at me and they'd be like, Why does this rice crispy treat taste funny? And I'm like, Because it's good for you. And they're like, What do you mean? And I'm like, it's the whole grain version, not as much added sugar. And they're like, Hmm. Uh, it doesn't taste good, but I'm still going to eat it. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you are going to eat it. Um, and so then again, that small frequent exposure, right. And we're not playing like mind games here, but over time, their taste preferences are going to shift away from those high sugar foods. And now we've got them eating more vegetables and, um, they're not craving that sugar. They're eating more nutrient dense foods. And it's just funny. Cause like, it all starts with that one small rice crispy treat. So it's always funny. Uh, I I'll probably never forget that phone call. Cause it was just one of those things. Like my wife still gives me uh, a fun time about it. Now she's like rice crispy treats. Why don't you just serve chocolate chip cookies? And I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when you start moving away from, you know, super sugary, salty, um, heavy, like greasy, fatty things that they may be used to all the time, and you start including some of those higher quality options, and then they go back to like, people, people start to feel sick, they don't feel good, right? And it's like, yeah, this is probably what you felt like all the time, but that was your normal. This is your new normal. Yep. And this is why you don't feel like that, because these, these are better, higher quality options. Uh, all right. So last thing I want to do to just wrap up here is, are, are you integrating or doing anything unique through nutrition, strength and conditioning that maybe dietitians should be aware of, um, should consider to try to like integrate or, or learn more about it, learn more about um, whether it's athlete management systems, sports science, analytics, genes, supplements, sports pharmacy, like any anything like that that comes to the top of your mind that you're like, Hey, definitely take some time to like look up on this because this could be something that's going to be integrated more in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the short answer would kind of be like, yes and no, right? Like, yes, but no, like we're still evidence-based practitioners, right? And so I'm not doing anything super secretive that no one else can already kind of find out about in a sense, right? Because we are evidence-based practitioners first. But again, to kind of, and this is where more of like the strength side comes in, you're able to kind of take more, not risks, but you're able to kind of work more in the gray area, I guess, right? Like you kind of know, like with a bodybuilding background, right? Bodybuilders were doing things 20 years ago that are like now kind of either evidence-based or we prove to be uh, just a waste of time. You know, like think about nighttime feeding and protein, right? Like bodybuilders have been doing that for ages. And now there's a good amount of research coming out about nighttime feeding, protein, recovery, all that good stuff. And it's one of the things that I always like start with, with my athletes, one way to increase calories. But I think that's kind of an untapped area that a lot of dietitians should kind of look at, right? Like you always get that athlete that's like, oh, I don't eat after eight because I I read some article on the internet that it all turns <laughs> to fat. I won't sleep, you know, it, all X, Y, Z, whatever, all these crazy things. And you're like, well, no, not necessarily, but like what you eat before bed matters. And so that's one of the things that I see a lot of practitioners kind of missing the boat out on is that nighttime feeding opportunity. Real basic. Again, that's real low level hanging fruit, nothing crazy there. Um, 
from a sports science kind of thing, right? We mentioned like the holistic approach to as well. In grad school, I focused a lot on HRV. So heart rate variability, and that recovery process. And that's kind of where I formed like my thought process uh, between strength and nutrition, right? Like in strength, we're, opposed, we're applying the stress to the athlete. And then in nutrition, we're recovering that stress the other 18, 20 hours a day. And so just kind of being familiar with how the body works, how it responds to the stress, not just of training, but mental health too as well, right? And so kind of being familiar with that. From the technology side of things, right? Like technology comes and goes. Um, it's whatever is hot for the day, right? Like again, with the HRV, that seems to be pretty popular. The aura rings, the whoops. Um, again, we know there's air with that measurement, um, especially continuously. And so- just again, another funny story, like the practicality of things. Interned with the Eagles, they were doing HRV monitoring in the morning. So when players got to the locker room, they put the strap on, lay down for three minutes, let it take your HRV. It's good, right? We're doing it consistent. And that's our standardized protocol. But what we as practitioners don't necessarily think about, well, is player X drinking a 300 milligram monster on his way to the facility? And so we're measuring his HRV when his caffeine's kicking in. That's not reliable, right? Like we're going to think this guy is like stressed through the roof and the brakes are about to fall off, but really like he's actually following evidence-based nutrition recommendations, dosing his caffeine before it worked out, doing another thing that like we want them to do. And so the technology side of things is always interesting, but I think, you know, consistency is what wins and it's those small things having that bigger impact and so there's nothing groundbreaking on my side of things like I said uh, big nitrate guy um, big kind of nutrient timing guy as well and so but those are are the basics but again getting your athletes to actually do them in the times that it matters the most is where you'll have the most success um, personally, I'm really big on the omega threes and the creatine right now from a brain health standpoint. I think a lot of people are kind of aware of that, but again, my professor in grad school, and this was about 10 years ago, was talking about his 80 year old grandma taking creatine, not because she needs to lift a 50 pound bag of fertilizer for her garden, but because of its impact on the mental health side of things. And I think more of that's coming to light and that's a nice area to dive into as it has multiple benefits from what we do from a performance and health side of things too as well and so um, that's kind of what gets me excited in a sense um, more on the strength side of things right we're doing a lot with force plates tying that in not necessarily like from a readiness side of things like you can use it for readiness but there's so many factors that go into an athlete's readiness right like their sleep their hydration their eating the stress that we're not really using it for that but we're monitoring our changes in training and our what we're doing as practitioners working right we're able to look at our athletes see how they jump see their neuromuscular input and then how do they respond to training and diet and when do we get those interventions in and again if we see an athlete flagged uh, on the force plates, that's just lets me go and have a conversation with them. Like, Hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? How'd you sleep? Did you eat? Get in with sports med. And again, we're kind of putting that athlete health first before they're getting injured and we have a catastrophic event. And so again, just kind of prioritizing the person more than the athlete. So kind of a boring answer, but again, do you do any VBT at all? 
Um, I have in the past. So again, when I was at Florida State, the director of Olympic uh, strength and conditioning, like that was his jam. That was what he was big into. So I'm familiar with it. At Drexel, we don't have the technology. It's it's something on our wish list, though. But again, you know, you can overcomplicate anything, strength or nutrition. I just tell the guys to move the weight fast when I want them to move it fast. And that kind of takes care of itself. We'll move it slow when we, we need want to move it slow and get those adaptations. And so um, kind of the poor man's VBT, if you will. Yeah, if they can understand the concept or nowadays with how good our phones are, <laughs> you yeah, just take a video too. like, here's, here's you squatting slow, here's you squatting fast. Yeah, like this and athletes like it for the buy-in and the feedback and again anytime you can bring technology and they get excited yeah especially if they can they can see it or if they can take a video of it yeah <laughs> get super jazzed about it oh yeah put it on the gram yeah i think a couple last points to just kind of finish up here um you know i don't think re research will ever catch up to some of the stuff that we experiment and try with you know, that's why I think we, we have to trial and error some things here and there, because like you said, it might take multiple years before we get to the point where we can say, yes, we have X amount of studies that show this, this, and this, and prove this in this situation. Um, so sometimes like, yeah, you might have to go against the grain a little bit once in a while, as long as it's, again, within limits and is it still safe for the athlete. Uh, you know, one of the persons I had on this podcast, Jason Stone, who's a, a sports scientist, he was at Ohio State, now he's with... Um, Cincinnati's uh, major league baseball team when he was at Ohio State they had uh, a newer approach where like their sports science and their practitioners like directly would integrate with the research side which got more of the researchers to finally come and do hey come to our practice and see you want to do all these different studies but like this is what a practice looks like this is what this stuff looks like real time now I need you guys to rethink your approach and how you would actually do this in our schedule and our routine and allow us to be able to bring that to the coach to actually give you time to do it. And how will we set it up and how many staff will we need? You know, where a lot of time, like they're not thinking about all those scenarios because they're not in that environment. So I, I think if that could be a possibility in the future, where we bring some more of these professors and researchers like in real time to like do these studies there and understand the complexity of, of that. I think that'll be helpful. And I've also seen more research studies that are now putting, you know, a, a box of like, okay, here's this long study that's a thousand pages, but all right, here's 10 points that are applied, like, applicable. Like you can apply, here's what you can apply in the real life setting, which when we're super busy and we just want to like, what's our bullet points we can use from this study? I think that makes it a lot easier for us to read through things a lot quicker where maybe our schedule routine doesn't allow us to, to do that on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and the funny part, you know, evidence-based and research, we had a video go viral of us taking beet juice before a game and on social media, all the PhD researchers were like, why are you drinking beet juice half an hour before a game? Don't you know, it takes two to three hours for peak levels. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know that. Um, have you ever worked with 18 year olds and have you ever tried them to get to drink beet juice two to three hours before a game? I have to find them first. I don't know where they're at. Um, but then again, too, it's one of those interesting things as a practitioner working in that gray space, right? Like I don't need our blood nitrate levels to be peaked at tip off, right? Like it, sure, it's great. But so how I kind of interpret it is, is that it levels peak two to three hours later, right? Like that to me, if we're doing it an hour before game, we're going to peak right at the last couple of minutes of the fourth quarter or the second half. And to me as a practitioner, 
Is it that the moment that I want my athletes to have the highest level when the game is on the line? Not a tip off, right? Like games aren't won in the first half. They're lost in the first half. But I rather put us in a position that when the game is on the line, we're in the best position to go out and be successful. Now, it doesn't always work that way. But then on the flip side, as you know, basketball, you're playing a lot of games in a very small time frame. Recovery becomes the main component in season. And so by drinking beet juice before a game, I'm maximizing our recovery after the game. And so it's that kind of secondary effect, right? But the researchers had a field day on that. And they're like, you don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, well, please come work with me. And you try and get this 18-year-old that just ate uh, a Big Mac an hour before the game to do what you want three hours before. And let me know how that works out for you. Yeah, it, it, that's, that's the sad thing about social media. People just don't understand the context or the, the reality of the situation and the environment. You know, everyone just wants to jump on a bandwagon, attack somebody and join join that person that's attacking you. It's like, yeah, come in my shoes. Let's have a real conversation. And you want to give this a whirl? By all means, go ahead. But <laughs> you guys would have never done this. If I, I did, athletes have some choice words for them. You know what I mean? They'd be like, "I can't say it here on this podcast, but you know where I'm going." Yeah, and it's like, and, and you're probably going to come in and talk all this sciencey stuff. It's going to be way over their head, and they're going to look at you like, and 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 they don't know you, so they're really not going to do it. So yeah, you got to fight your battles where you can, and, and obviously stay in your ground where you can too to to know what's best. And you know, again, they're getting a benefit if it's helping them. If we're getting stuff in them that we know is going to be helpful down the line, then we're, we're doing the job to the best of our ability, what it allows us to do. So, but Hey, really appreciate having you on. This is an awesome, awesome conversation. Um, anyone that wants to contact or reach out to Palmer to ask about any of his experiences or, or his advice or expertise, uh, his contact information will be below in the show notes. Uh, mine all will be there as well with my link tree link too. Uh, so if you need any nutrition services, um, discounts on Thorn or design for sports, um, all those things you can find in my link as well. And again, continue to stay tuned to more episodes, like, share, and like I always say, spread the wisdom um, so that everyone can listen to this podcast, gain more information, build connections, and be able to develop and grow as one unit and not just individuals in silos. So thank you, Palmer. Appreciate it.